Well, welcome to um, another episode of Coaching Outdoors. Um, I'm Anna Marie Watson, and I've got my co-host Alex Byrne with me today. And we have um, a guest that we are both super, super, super excited um, to have on the show. Um, we have Professor Jonathan Passmore, and um, I would love to invite him to introduce himself. Thanks, Anna Marie. I'm really delighted to be joining you today. So a little bit about me, if um, that's helpful. So I'm the director of the Henley Centre for Coaching. I am a professor of coaching and behavioural change uh, at Henley and run the coaching programmes there and also our continuous professional development offerings through the centre. Uh, I've been an active psychologist, coaching uh, practitioner for some 20 years uh, and are fascinated by the potential of using outdoor spaces for our coaching conversations uh, and the potential that we have to understand this emerging area through new research and study to enhance the way that we work with clients, but also a deeper understanding of how we as individuals relate to nature. Thank you for that. And it's almost like Jonathan is the linchpin that actually um, meant that Alex and I met each other. Um, and just to kind of a bit of a background as to how we kind of both know Jonathan, I was um, presenting at the UK chapter conference um, a couple of years ago, doing a, a workshop which is encouraging kind of coaches to take their practice outside, which is clearly something I'm hugely passionate about. Though we started off indoors and, and I remember going to check the room out to notice that kind of Jonathan's name was on the door. Um, he was doing his presentation beforehand of which I had like a, a massive imposter syndrome kind of flash going on. Um, and it was really kind that um, he stayed and listened to my presentation and then afterwards kind of came up to me, gave him his card and said it would be great if I could come talk to some of the students um, on the coaching programme at Henley, which, you know, I was clearly absolutely delighted about any opportunity to share um, the delights of coaching outdoors. So that is where, you know, I went along a few months later and, um, and, and talked to them and Alex, you know, she was very interested in doing her dissertation on the topic. So that's how we've kind of collaborated since then. So it's often, you know, these chance conversations, you never know where they will go. Yes, and uh, I'm, I was lucky enough, Jonathan, to have you as my dissertation supervisor for my MSc, which was um, extremely, I was very honoured uh, to have you as my, as my supervisor. Um, and yes, as Anna-Marie said, my, my love for um, outdoor coaching is the reason why actually I started my MSc at Henley and, and how Jonathan, you and I met. So Jonathan, what we'd like to do is ask you to um, start off by telling us what your earliest memory of being outdoors is and why you personally really enjoy being outside. So if I think back to my childhood, we lived in a suburban town uh, and we were on the edge of that town and just really at the back of our house were fields. And I can think back to very early memories, probably maybe six or so. And this is in the 1960s of going out to play in the street and also then going with friends to go over the fields. And the first field that was there uh, was uh, a, a horse was always in that field. And we used to sort of climb over the fence and the horse was not particularly interested. But beyond that was a series of other fields that we would then go and explore, sometimes divided by hedges or little pieces of, of wooded area. And we would make camps in the ditches in the summer holidays. You know, we would play in the trees uh, and 
have chasing games and fighting games and all the things that uh, young boys uh, do. Uh, and that whole existence of being outside probably from nine o'clock in the morning when my parents said, OK, you can go outside to play until lunchtime back for half an hour, have some food and then out again, probably until five or six o'clock in the evening to come home for, for, for tea. I'm just spending hours and hours playing out over these fields. And that grew into in my later teenage years when I was at university and then through my 20s and subsequently uh, 30s and onwards, uh, a real enjoyment of being outside walking in the hills, whether that's in the Lake District or in the peaks, uh, walking abroad and just uh, interacting with those outdoor spaces, one for physical activity, but also as a as I say, separation from the working life that certainly in my working life has been very much trapped in offices. So to get outside and engage with nature, to see the changing of the seasons, to encounter weather, to just have some space to talk with maybe the person that you're walking with, to think, to just have that change of pace from the daily working environment of uh, meetings and uh, desk and paper and computers um, has been a significant and constant stream through my life. It's always fascinating when we're asking kind of coaches this question, what their earliest memory is and how people light up at the memory of kind of exploring these kind of childhood memories that mean so much to them. Um, and just kind of taking a little bit of time just to reflect, because ultimately that is what we're tapping into as coaches and what our clients are drawing from as well. Um, and then how we kind of track it into our working lives. And predominantly these are, if this is inside and sat down. And, you know, this almost kind of links into now, you know, that there does seem to be an increase in, um taking conversations outside you know particularly in the coaching community there is which clearly we're, we're all delighted about on this call here um that actually there is scope people are seeing the benefits and it's almost you know what what do you find, think the reason behind this increase is that we're seeing at the moment well i think if we look at this particular moment so that we're having this conversation down during covid particularly during the UK's second lockdown when we are restricted in terms of our social interactions. And so the opportunity exists with the current rules this week that we can go outside and meet one other person for a walk. So clearly that's, that's the only space where we can meet other people. But I think more fundamentally, this period of, of, of time has really encouraged people to connect as they're working from home with nature in a new way maybe connecting with their garden so we've seen a blossoming uh, of people who are growing vegetables and really transforming their gardens or spending more time in the garden doing gardening or enjoying the garden and also more people are getting outside to walk so while i typically on a normal working day might be leaving the house at 7 or 7.30 to then drive into Henley or wherever I was driving maybe to a, to a client's for a consulting or a coaching piece of work and then driving back of an evening maybe at six o'clock getting home at seven o'clock for much of the year by the time that you come home either it's dark um, you have something to eat the day is gone whereas working from home we gain a couple of hours in time and there's that period of lunchtime that instead of just sitting at our desk We've created, certainly in our family, uh, a habit of going for a walk, maybe only 40 minutes, but enough to go and do a couple of miles, uh, stretch our legs, 
have a little bit of opportunity to say, well, what season are we in? Oh, let's look at the berries on the bush. Let's look at how the leaves are changing. Let's see how the light is changing as we're out for a walk. And each day you notice those different things, the changes in the berries, the changes on the leaves. And also just have an opportunity to chew over the respective days with my wife, you know, what she'd been doing during the course of the morning, listen to her, tell her about uh, my experiences. And in some respects, in a very informal way to mentor, coach, support each other through listening, through questions and sometimes through, oh, um, maybe one of the things that you could do is giving a little bit of advice. And that informal type of conversation that we all have with our friends and with our partners, it's not coaching, but it's certainly nourishing and helps us to go on to the second part of our day. Uh, and probably as a result of that, even though for most of us, doing one Zoom call is okay, doing two Zoom calls is well, I think we can get through that, but doing five or six or seven or eight during the course of the day, and that's typical of my day, becomes exhausting. Having a little bit of a break in the middle of the day helps us to get through that. So I think that the COVID has been a factor uh, in getting us outside. I think the other thing that has been a factor, and this has probably been uh, a, a trend that's been growing over three, five, seven, ten years, is a recognition of the importance of the environment and seeing ourselves as humans a part of that system. And some of us have been talking about these issues going back several decades. So I can certainly remember one of the earliest papers that I wrote was around environmental issues, going back into the 1980s and talking about the importance of how we uh, interact with our environments and particularly the sorts of environments that we interact with and avoiding environments where there is just one single uh, species. So going for a walk uh, in a conifer wood is far less interesting, far less engaging, far less rewarding than going for a walk uh, in a typical English wood where you have a whole variety of different tree and plant species. And the result of that is a massive increase in the biodiversity of the other animals that you come across. Thousands more insects will inhabit a more diverse wood than you'll see in those single conifer plantations. Even though we might want them for our Christmas trees, actually for nature, that's less good. And it's less interesting for us when we're going for a walk in those particular spaces because we do want to encounter and be stimulated by our environments. So I think this recognition of the ecology, recognition of the environments and the impact we as humans are having on the environments has been a growing trend, particularly for us as coaches uh, over the last three to five years. And that is beginning to explode and coming through into um, many of our ways of practicing that we're helping our clients to think about how they are part of a system when they're the chief executive of an organization. How do they interact with their system? Uh, and the environment is a critical part of that. And I think the third trend that's happening and um, that has been driving this and it's probably underneath the surface but is a significant force is the growing engagement of research and how research in terms of blue green environments the wider ecosystem is having a positive impact on mental health and that if we want to help people improve and manage their mental health in a world which is often just like that conifer wood we spend most of our day in the conifer wood of Zoom. 
getting out into a diverse environment and encountering that, looking at the sky and seeing how the sky changes, particularly if you're walking across fields to see that breadth of the big sky and how small we are, insignificant, a single little speck of sand uh, on the beach of humanity and uh, recognising that all the stuff that goes on that makes us irritated, annoyed, frustrated, do you know what? It's just another leaf falling off a tree into a stream and over the next minutes or the next days or the next months, it will float away, it will pass. And so giving our sense a sense of perspective through those sorts of engagements, as well as the stimulation by seeing nature and seeing ourselves as part of that system. And that psychology research is an important strand that I think is growing. And we, and the work that you both are doing in this particular area needs to be applauded in helping us as psychologists, helping us as practitioners to understand that there's evidence behind the physiological positive sensations that we might be experiencing at an individual level. That means that when we work with our clients, they too benefit, but we understand that there's a science as well as an experiential aspect to the work we're doing. That, that's really great, Jonathan, and it, it, you've encapsulated so many really important aspects there. Um, and it's great as well to understand this from a, a, an evidence perspective and, and a research perspective as well. And it would be great to think if you could pick out maybe one or two examples of, of research that really highlights the benefits um, that outdoor coaching can have on a person, either from an eco-psychological perspective or neuroscience perspective. Have you got any examples of research? Because what we'd like to do is, is provide those examples um, on, our um, on our website in the resources section so people can go away and, and do some reading themselves. Can you pick out any a couple of, of, of examples that really well, describe that benefit? I'm going to embarrass you, Alex, and encourage people <laughs> your work because I think that your work provides a really excellent synthesis of that literature uh, and if people want to go and follow up not only have you done a study in this particular area which is almost unique uh, but also that by looking at that wider psychological literature um, there's a, a multitude of readings that people can follow up either specifically in terms of eco-psychology blue-green environments but that wider area about systems and people's in interactions with systems. So I think your work is a really positive uh, area to start. And I know both of you are currently working on a book. So a real encouragement um, from me as a as a, a reader of coaching books, a consumer of, of new content to, to get that book out because uh, we're really hungry to read it. Um, but also an encouragement not only to you guys, but I think more wider of people who are interested in this area to do more research, because I think that we are only very the foothills of understanding this. There is theory and I think theory has a place. But when we look at theory, theory is not evidence. And the distinction between when I had a theory that it was possible to build a vaccine for COVID if we were able to do these particular interventions in taking um, some aspects of COVID-19 and the spoke, the spike protein uh, and teasing them apart, getting into the DNA, that in theory could build. But it was un until we've had multiple attempts uh, and 12 months of, of research or 10 months of research have led people to be able to produce 
the first vaccines and then provide some evidence through randomized controlled trials that these had positive effects. And what we'll see over the coming months, and no doubt people will listen to this several months in the future, they'll be saying, okay, actually there's differentiation between these because the impact of that particular vaccine this specific vaccine has a more positive effect on this type of group and they're likely to be differences between groups exactly the same in terms of the work that we do in coaching or the work in terms of uh, eco psychology to begin to tease out the individual differences and not see all humanity as one group maybe there are particular psychological conditions that particularly benefit from this type of intervention maybe the types of environment that individual walk in so is green better than blue how does evening relate to lunchtime? How do light levels have an impact on this? How does the conifer wood compare with the beech and oak wood that you might see in a typical English countryside? So they're beginning to do research that teases these elements apart. And so starting out from this journey, as I say, we're just in the foothills. I've direct people to your particular study, which is available. People can access that through Henley Business School. Uh, I mean, in particular, our National Coaching Resources Centre, where your dissertation and hundreds of others are kept, and they are freely available for members of the public, people who listen to this podcast, to access that excellent piece of research. Thank you. <laughs> that was a little bit made me blush <laughs> <laughs> own it own it take it Alex own it. <laughs> all your hard work I love it um and 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 thank you for just kind of just pulling the whole the, the complexities the dynamic and actually how we are very much at the start of this journey and it's almost as we kind of face this journey as coaches as academics and you know clearly organizations and our clients are facing this as well it's like what what do you see as the you know the biggest challenge that we're facing um at the moment around kind of taking more kind of coaching conversations outdoors? Um, well, one of the challenges that we probably face is client resistance and client resistance in the face of the British weather. Uh, <laughs> and um, that means uh, having the appropriate clothing and being willing to commit to, we are doing this, come rain, come shine, come snow, come frost, we're going to go for a walk. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, my wife and I have, have thought about is making sure that we've got the right shoes downstairs. So it's fine if you're going shopping and you're wandering around Milton Keynes shopping centre. Actually, uh, any pair of shoes will do. And you walk from the tarmac car park into the shopping centre and you can wander around with a little light coat uh, and a pair of sort of general sneakers. And that's fine to go for a walk in June, July. Uh, in August and probably September and maybe October. But by the time that you get to November, it takes a serious commitment. So having the hat, having the gloves, having the appropriate coat, having the right shoes that you're not worried about getting muddy uh, and then having an appropriate place to store them when you come back and you're not treading mud through the house. So just thinking about the environment that we're in and being committed to going out in all weathers that you're not a fair weather walker. And it's fine if you're going on a holiday, you're going on a walking holiday, you take that stuff with you. And often those things are packed away, ready for those sorts of holidays, unless you make the conscious decision, actually, no, 
I am a walker. I don't I don't want to be getting, if I'm going out, out every day, I don't want to be going up to the wardrobe to pull out the special coat and the gloves. They've got to be easily accessible. I can just walk out of the door. And we're very lucky where we live with the middle of the countryside uh, and we pretty much can head out of the door in any direction and be in a field as soon as we step out of our garden. And one of the things why we chose to live where we are, even though we're only in Hertfordshire, we're outside of a hamlet, we're almost by ourselves. Uh, and that means that we have a myriad of pathways. So having somewhere which is convenient and you know the routes is another factor that people have done some planning or some preparation or some thought about where they're going to walk. Because while it's pleasant in terms of exercise to walk around your local housing estate, you probably will get less of the benefits that we've been talking about on this podcast than if you went for a walk through Ashridge or you went for a walk uh, in the lakes or you went for a walk uh, on the Brecon Beacons where that environment of nature, the trees, all that environment that is surrounding you now uh, is just outside and I want to get straight into it. Uh, and if you haven't got that environment there, what is the quickest way to it? So you know, maybe that is a cycle that takes you out of your town to be able to then park up your bicycle. Or maybe just going for a cycle is another way of, of encountering nature and the environment and that blue green spaces without having to wander around your local Barrett housing estate. <laughs> I, th I think you've, you've been to where I live in Trowbridge, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those soulless IKEA kit houses where everything looks the same. Um, thank you for touching on some of the challenges there and in the conversations that uh, I think both Alex and I have with clients and coaches. Like the one thing that always crops up time and time again is the weather. It's like, oh my goodness, the English weather. How do you work through it? And it's 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 one of the things that you know when we're talking with other coaches um, for the rest of this series, we'll be touching on kind of the different practicalities. And you know, there's no such thing as um, by the way, they're just inappropriate clothing. Um, <laughs> Mr. Wainwright, um, just, just wanted to, to add in there, as, as Jonathan mentioned the research that I did for my dissertation, it, it was fascinating actually, because I did, I, I left it late on in the interviews to wait to see if the weather came up in just generally in the conversation. And then if it didn't, I did ask some specific questions around it. And um, it was fascinating because people who'd actually experienced outdoor coaching and had a number of sessions, all of them said that actually the weather didn't factor in after that first session. They were a bit wary of it in the first session. And then afterwards, it just they were so um, enthused and motivated by being outdoors and, and having that conversation that the weather and the weather provided opportunity for metaphor, for um, comparisons with their life and how they're feeling. And um, so it's interesting to think about it from the point of view of how do you get new clients to overcome that challenge? Because it almost seems like once they've had that first experience of outdoor coaching the weather it, it it's it's becomes part of the conversation rather than um a reason for not doing it in the first place so the weather is, is an amazing thing i think and, and, and as a coach you know i've been working in the outdoor space in the uk for five years now and i've got you know several hundred hours working with clients and i've cancelled two sessions in that period of time so it's 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 something that we kind of i think create more of a monster than what it actually really is um, so I'm super conscious of um, time. So it's 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 kind of time to start pulling things together. And just before we close, um, I know, Jonathan, you touched on kind of um, a resource, particularly in Alex's dissertation, which is a phenomenal piece of work. Would there be any other kind of resources that you'd um, like to signpost where people could find a little bit more out about this? 
So uh, I would probably uh, advocate that they read your, your uh, chapter uh, in uh, the book, um, uh, which is the coach's handbook. So have a read of that. Uh, I think that that is a good starting place. Uh, there are a couple of other papers that have been written. There's a piece by Stephen Palmer talking about uh, this uh, work, uh, and people can access that by going on to something like ResearchGate or doing a Google search, Stephen Palmer, Eco Coaching. So those would be a couple of, of uh, starting points for people to begin to think about what's been written about this particular topic. Uh, but I think that this is less of a topic for people to go and read the science while they're sitting under their Ikea lamp in their Ikea house, but <laughs> instead is to get out and go for a walk, go and give it a test, go and experiment with a client and see how it goes. And as you were said, both of you have on this call, um, using that space, just as we might use a whiteboard or we use um, the different tools that are available on the Zoom platform to interact with our client, how do we use the space of nature to enable and facilitate the conversation? That we're using the views, we're using the terrain, we're using um, the person who might be walking past, um, walking their dog <laughs> who's past, you know, as part of the metaphors of, so what's going on, sort of passing events, people who just come through our lives to, uh, uh, that might have a small touch moment that could be helpful to us you know, or, or leaves and grass and all of the other um, species, nature, that we're encountering on our walk. And I think when people have given it a go, it, for me, it's not the only way of doing coaching, but it's a very useful way, a useful tool to add to the offering that we can make to clients to help them to progress on their journey and achieve the outcomes that they want for themselves, for their families, for their organisation. Thank you, Jonathan. You've touched on some um, some wonderful topics here, and um, and and it, it's great because with the rest of the podcast series, the people that we are the guests we're interviewing will talk about quite specific topics that they've chosen, which um, really interest them in the world of outdoor coaching. And it's great to get this this overview from you about the topic and how it relates to. Um, the eco environment around us, eco psychology, um, and and as we mentioned there, some of the some of the challenges that that might crop up along the way. But um, I love the sentiment of your last your last comment there about just getting out and trying it. And and you know we we Anna Marie and I advocate that quite a lot. Um, just get out and give it a go and and see and see how it goes. Um, so. Um, the resources that you've mentioned, and um, we will make sure that all of those are available on the website and in the resources section. Um, so people, if they do want to read, can. And, and we also encourage people hopefully to be listening to or watching these podcasts whilst either taking a walk outside or sitting outside in the hopefully some glorious sunshine that might come our way at some point soon. But all the everything can be found on our website, um, coaching-outdoors.com. And so, yes, all it takes now is for me to say thank you so much, Jonathan, for being part of our podcast. We know how you're a very, very busy man. So we're very honoured to have you as our as our guest. So thank you very much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much.